Welcome to another episode of CX Talks. Hello and welcome to the CX podcast. I'm here with Matt Austin and myself, Tom Carpenter, to talk about what's quite prominent in the news recently, but mergers and acquisitions and how that relates to customer experience. Uh, we're looking at some a number of different articles here, and in one of them, Deloitte have predicted that the number of mergers and acquisitions will grow in 2019. And probably we're seeing a lot of prominent mergers and acquisitions, not just that, but also companies dissolving been given to administrative firms uh, and then other companies repurchasing some of their assets such as Thomas Cook for example recently the failings for example of the Asda and Sainsbury's merger so something which is quite close to us as an organization and our clients but also very prevalent in the news so for that reason we're going to talk to you today about uh, an article written by Phil Britt published on CMS Wire entitled how to handle customer experience during a merger or acquisition Matt, do you want to give us a little bit of a lowdown of kind of premise of the article and some of the themes here? Yeah, yeah, sure. So this is, uh, it's a very descriptive title. It is all about how to handle customer experience during um, a significant event in any business's lifetime. Um, there's a lot of change around the time that a merger acquisition happens. So the main points that Phil goes into, they seem quite obvious things to begin with, like you keep customer experience at the forefront of your thinking, you include um, considerations about the customer experience right at the beginning when you're planning the merger or acquisition, you you try to make sure as part of that that you understand customer expectations, um, and that's he goes on to say that you probably want to understand the customers of the acquired company, um, or at least you want to maybe put a little bit of additional focus into that. I guess we would say that that's because uh, they they might have a niche service or something that's a little bit different um, that you wouldn't want to lose. And then finally, he connects it back through to the need to connect with your own employees, the employee, the employees of both companies, not just the customers. That's ultimately because the employees help to construct the the good or bad customer experience. Yeah, and I think you touched at the beginning that it, it might seem quite obvious, but actually the few mergers and acquisitions I've worked on the prerogative tends to always be one of our favorite words when it comes to mergers and acquisitions the synergies the cost savings that they're going to reap or the revenue uh, gains um, or just the acquisition of new customers in general is the focus so trying to get that to run smoothly as quickly as possible is often the prerogative so streamlining a management layer and actually i don't think I've ever seen explicitly customer experience called out as to how that will be managed or investigated. Potentially like elements of the process consistency, which obviously leads to employee experience, but that tends to more be about the savings, I would have said, than the customer experience. Do you have a viewpoint on that? Yeah, I mean, there's there's all these promised benefits from the strategy room for a merger or acquisition that tend to more or less relate to shareholder value or the bottom line. I don't know if if you're able to connect the the customer experience picture kind of back to that, then you're probably in a good place. But um, I'd, I'd say that was true, like even when you're not involved in a merger or acquisition, right? So there's a need to justify your your focus on CX a lot of the time in kind of financial terms, um, at least if you want to get buy-in from the boardroom. So 
that's interesting and you, you touched down there that you want to get this done quickly normally there's a there's an imperative on speed and one of the things that uh, that phil touches on in this article i think he's quoting somewhere else actually that you need a where is it a full true integration will likely take years due to the enormity and complexity of the work the trick is to recognize the importance of this work get the right people on the task and empower them to do it and keep up momentum and i think all of that applies to the, the customer experience angle i guess his point is even before you're considering cx it's a humongous task there's um like due diligence to get through lots of hoops you have to jump through i wonder if a lot of leaders involved in MA don't want the distraction of thinking about cx like they think of it maybe as another extra thing i think you can probably achieve both though i think some of the programs worked on in the past you have a short-term aim let's say 10 million cost savings in the next 12 months but that doesn't mean you can't consider the longer term benefits of cx and something that's interesting depending on the size of the acquisition but if you acquire quite a small organization into a large one it's likely that they have quite a small customer base and therefore a very personalized or personal uh, way of dealing with their customers so the, the experience those customers receive is very different to those of the larger organization's customers. And even being having an awareness of that is a good first step towards ensuring that the customer experience can be managed. So I think some organizations clearly are, are aware of that. And a lot of the benefits are through things like upsell and cross-sell. So actually ensuring that the there's a consistent customer experience for the acquired company to what they're used to, while also allowing you to cross-sell and upsell obviously will reap the benefits of a better or at least consistent customer experience so yeah that's that's touched on in the article as well um so this is quoting what if customers of the acquired company had access to the contact center through multiple channels but the acquiring company just has one centralized call center that it wants to use moving forward nuances like this can have a huge impact on customer satisfaction so i think that's an example of what you said there's this difference in how customers are treated it might be contact centers it might be the um, the experience when they first encounter to your company um, or when they come to renew there are lots of touch points that are going to be different and you have to make decisions about well how happy are we for those things to remain different and have we raised risks around customer dissatisfaction when their expectations aren't met after the after the acquisition yes and i think the efforts towards upsell and cross-sell you could basically cancel out if you end up, as you said, with uh, renewals or repurchases not happening because the main benefit of customer experience is loyalty, so therefore retention. So actually you'll lose all of your potentially loyal customers if you don't consider the fact they need a consistent experience. I mean, that being said, smaller companies tend to do more tactical or inefficient things because it doesn't cost them very much, the grand scheme of things, to do it. So that doesn't mean that everything they do offer should be considered. So I think it is a good opportunity to evaluate whether the activities that are being provided are value-add to the customer in that sense. But I agree with you, it's more likely than not that moving to a centralized model will deteriorate a small organization's customer experience and it's certainly something that needs to be taken into account yeah and and one of the things i know we've spoken about recently is the opportunity that there is around the time of an integration to examine the those inefficiencies that may exist in i guess not just the acquired company but in either company involved in the merger or acquisition it's not really something that's touched on too much in this article but it is an interesting point it's like the the opportunity at the point where you are going to be integrating operating models um, systems processes teams potentially there is a, a great opportunity while you're kind of having to examine those things to think well is there a kind of third alternative to just 
using one process or the other process or even like a weird kind of Frankenstein between them. So like, what if we just design something that's new given our new situation? And that's always going to come with a, a cost, right? So you, you decide whether actually it's it's worth it for a particular small acquisition. I'd love to know if people are producing business cases based on exactly that kind of like, guys, what's the opportunity here to, to make a whole new process or way of operating that's going to help us be successful as a, a now joined up company? Yeah, and I think in some cases, actually, the acquisition is an opportunity to do that surreptitiously almost because there is likely to be some investment into building a new kind of centralized way of doing something as part of the synergy um, of the two organizations being brought together so actually i have seen in the past that they do create new processes i very rarely seen that there's an intent to do that from the start uh, and we're working with a client at the moment in information services uh, and they've acquired a company that's currently m- just about to implement a change so that's quite an interesting psychology and whether you continue to go through with that revert them to your central solution even though you sort of know that's not the right thing to do for them so that has happened obviously at a point where all three of those things coincide i think this is also an interesting segue into employee experience but given it's friday afternoon i'm just gonna take a sip of my beer and then we'll segue into employee (laughs) experience i was fully ready to segue into employee experience based on one of the experiences i've had in the past um so i've i've been in part of a digital transformation program that was in a it was a, a telecommunications company that was the result of a, a joint venture, so a merger in one geography. It was incredible to see the the different ways that teams were merged as a result of that. So <laughs> de- desperately trying to get through this without naming the uh, <laughs> the client involved, it might become obvious. But there were teams which had clearly had um, a way of working that was based on their party their their original company others where the team was brought in wholesale and continued to operate for the whole body um there were other teams that were like a straight split between the two um, legacy organizations and it was so bizarre because everyone could see it but no one really spoke about it it was the cause of quite a bit of conflict about the way you should go about some quite basic things to do with design or marketing and ironically customer experience so you user experience that was the specific lens then which we know is smaller scope than customer experience but it was the cause of quite a lot of friction i was on that program for like a year and a half and you you could start to see it sort of gradually getting better as these these cultures gradually adapted to one another but that there was never any kind of deliberate effort to help make that possible it sort of happened by accident yeah i personally find this fascinating which is you acquire an organization because of what it delivers but very few people at board level are, or have been in the past considering that part of the reason organizations are successful are because of the culture they have and the way in which they operate so a design agency is a great example of that they write on windows looking out over the city in their East London offices, living quite a kind of gig culture of a relaxed atmosphere. So being acquired by a large consultancy firm who have a, a very different outlook on their working life effectively removes the value or benefit of a design kind of approach to life i think a lot of organizations are becoming a little bit more aware of this but that's a very polarized example and therefore quite obvious but actually in any acquisitions and a lot say for example a a company acquiring a small tech firm for example a large technology or data company buying a small technology company is like a lumbering giant acquiring a what's a rapid startup kind of company the cultures are very very different so 
that still is not being as readily discussed or considered as it really should be. And that's the kind of employee experience and the cultural aspects which need to be debated there. Yeah, your, your example of the design agency acquired by a big consultancy is an interesting one because you could almost view that as kind of like a, oh, am I going to get this right, vertical integration. <laughs> Got it first time. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> feeling you know very, I mean? so feeling very horizontal on a Friday a afternoon, <laughs> but I think it is vertical, <laughs> yes. It's, a, a, it's a, um, a kind of capability augmentation and the culture difference can be so different in that example. Um, and I've, I've seen it firsthand. You know the uh, not mentioning any names here, of <laughs> course. <laughs> of course, um, you know the you walk to a different part of the open plan office, and everything kind of changes. And it's like those guys over there. And in large programs or big initiatives that involve kind of a, a number of parts of the organisation, including that acquired part, I'm sure that introduces friction, um, a kind of almost us and them attitude. And I don't think that's insurmountable. But I wonder if it. It takes time, deliberate effort, some amount of planning, or, or at least appreciation that that's going to be the case from the outset. So you don't you don't rely on, I guess, overselling the potential benefits that would come from that partnership. One of my uh, design colleagues actually has the concept of uh, constructive disagreement, which is yeah, an acceptance of the fact that you work in different ways and you think in different ways, but through that will generate more innovative ideas. But you have to have an awareness of that at the beginning, that you are very different. Uh, one of the acquisitions we've worked on previously were two companies which, for all intents and purposes, appeared to provide the same thing. But one was a way more marketing-driven organization, and the other was a more insights-driven organization. And actually, that meant that their culture, their business model, was very, very different. So although, effectively, they provided they both of them provided insights because of what they so how they sold it and who they sold it to and therefore how they were structured as a result they actually were very different organizations and it was quite challenging to merge them however they both had things or principles ways of working um, ideas that the other hadn't thought of and because they have very different ways of thinking as long as they were very transparent and aware of that at the start then they could both learn from each other's methods so one company could become more data insights driven and the other could become a bit more marketing themselves in a better way in a more flashy way and together they were both improving it's that um that strength in diversity idea um that i know we obviously we promote very strongly at clarisis that we we try to uh, make sure there's that breadth of ways of thinking and approaches and I wonder how many executives involved in acquisition and merger decisions are thinking about that in particular um, ahead of time and thinking about the possible benefits, although I suppose very intangible at that point in time, there may be to introducing a kind of deliberate diversity or greater diversity in opinion and way of thinking and approach that could ultimately reap untold benefits to the bottom line and the customer experience. I think so. And many organizations, understandably, are looking for, as I said, the synergies. But actually, if you have a few things which you think will deliver some of those synergies, then it's sort of a bit risk-free to try some of these things anyway. It might feel a little bit different and uncertain. But if you ignore them, then undoubtedly you probably won't deliver some of the benefits in the long term anyway. So it seems worth the risk. The one final point of this article, which we haven't talked a great deal about yet, is the communication of that change to the employees. Mm, yeah. And I think it's obviously a very, very uncertain time. A lot of people were potentially quite concerned about their own roles and they don't quite understand exactly how the organization is going to evolve or 
be integrated into their existing kind of teams and organizations. Um, we have a sort of model which we uh, discuss at Claris a few times about some people struggle with ambiguity they need a certain amount of certainty so the communication has got to be really important that you're ensuring that people feel safe um, and they're aware of what's going on but of course there will always be an element of you don't know and you're finding out i think it's important to be transparent and open about that what, what's your view on that matt yeah and uh, i agree uh, but there's also the the practicalities of their jobs after it's all happened and recognizing that they, they'll probably need to use different systems or use them in a different way be asked to do different to, to use different processes to go about their daily jobs maybe asked to change role change location like all of these things are possible and like nobody <laughs> would no no one likes abrupt change uh, you could argue that basically no one likes any kind of change but certainly if something's thrust on the mavericks and explorers amongst us of yeah course, obviously yes in, indeed like those of us in this room uh, <laughs> but the uh, the abrupt change that could come if you fail to communicate with your employees, even if um, at an, exe- an executive level you don't yet know exactly what's going to affect your employees, like being clear and transparent about the fact that there are great benefits, but things will have to change. And then just making sure that communication is well managed throughout, cascaded to all the right people in the right way, that there is a way for employees to feedback, I think, importantly. Very important, definitely. I suspect it's something that often gets overlooked. And it's, it's interesting in this article, um, again, quoting in this case, uh, the SciSense CEO, Amir Orad, whose uh, company recently went through a merger, who says the number one key to a successful merger is the people and culture. I wonder how many, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure Amir practices what he preaches. I wonder how many executives say that kind of message and how that correlates to what the employees of those organisations feel in light of a merger. Thank you listeners for listening and we look forward to welcoming you on another episode of CX Talks. Mm-hmm.